situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. The credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. A little bit of positive and negative when it comes to Aaron Judge and his chase to hit 60 home runs, potentially with a ridiculous last couple weeks, can get to 73. Here's the issue. 73 is and may very well always be the all-time home run record. For those of you who forgot, Barry Bonds hit 71 home, 73 home runs in 2001. That's more than anybody has in baseball history. I don't care how he did it. You know my stance when it comes to players using anything they possibly can to get an advantage. And what's to say, and this is going to piss some people off right off the bat as we begin another episode of the Past Ball Show, what's to say that Aaron Judge isn't taking anything? Even if it's a legal GNC supplement, he's got an advantage right now over Babe Ruth likely has an advantage over Roger Maris. Likely has an advantage over anybody that played baseball prior to the amphetamine era. Which obviously, you know, guys like Hank Aaron and Ted Williams and greats to have ever played the game of baseball used. You know my stance on steroids. Sports are entertainment. 73 is the all-time home run record and will be until somebody passes it. But it doesn't Take away for how great of a season an Aaron Judge is having. He's got a chance to win the Triple Crown in the American League. And there's no question he is the most valuable player in the American League. Where would the Yankees be without him? And we always get into discussion, and it gets a little passionate because people get a little ticked off. You know, Andre Dawson won the MVP for the Chicago Cubs in 1987. Uh, many other... Players have won the MVP award playing for subpar teams. And the Angels, on many levels this year, are a disappointment. A team that got off to a good start. A team that made the worst decision that it could have made by firing Joe Madden. And I'll tell you this, with Joe Madden still at the helm and not Phil Nevin, the Angels are more competitive. Are they a playoff team this year? No, I think they're going to fall a little bit short, even if Joe Madden was still there. Would they be close to 500? Would it be maybe a little over 500? I truly believe that. That's an example of one team that decided to make their manager the scapegoat and realized it was a mistake right away. They're a much worse team with Phil Nevin as the manager. And it doesn't mean that Phil Nevin has no idea what he's doing. The team, you know, the attention, they kind of tuned out as soon as Joe Madden was let go there. You could tell it was held well together by the manager. But Otani, who obviously is going to get a lot of consideration. In fact, as long as he keeps hitting and pitching at the same time, he's going to be in the discussion every year when it comes to the MVP award. And it's weird because the Angels have a player in Mike Trout, and Trout missed some time this year, but you know he's made up for it by having a really good season. Probably not good enough to be in the MVP discussion you know, when, it's, when things are all said and done. But every year from 2011 on was Mike Trout should be the MVP. And what 
you really see now is those people, and I don't know if it's a California-based thing. I don't think it's an Anaheim, Los Angeles, Angel type of narrative. As long as Shohei Otani's hitting and pitching, he's going to be part of the MVP discussion every year. And Mike Trout was really from the years of what, 2012 to 2019? Won the MVP three times, rookie of the year once, finished second, one, two, three, four times. Every year the same people were saying that Mike Trout should have been the MVP. And you're going to hear a lot of the same rhetoric right now when it comes to Shohei Otani. And if you compare Otani and Judge this year, you realize the impact that Aaron Judge has on the Yankees. And if you say outside of pitching... I, I would I would make it like this. What is the one thing outside of pitching that Aaron Judge is doing worse than Shohei Otani? Are you going to hold it as a penalty because Aaron Judge doesn't pitch? He leads the league in runs scored, home runs, runs batted in, walks, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, total bases, intentional walks. He might win the batting title this year. And listen, I, I've knocked you know, baseball's approach. Uh, nobody cares about getting a base hit to get on base anymore. They, wanna, they want the glamour when it comes to the home run. So if Aaron Judge could win a triple crown, which he very well might, as well as winning the triple stash, the triple slash, he's leading an on-base percentage, leading the slugging percentage, both I, I don't think he's going to go to anybody else. And then it's going to come down to how many home runs he ends up with this year. To me, the home runs are the sexy stat. That's what everybody kind of grows for. Chicks dig the long ball. It's always going to be like that. Farron Judge hits 62, 63, 64. Maybe hits 65. Maybe you're talking about him passing McGuire's 66 that he hit in 1999, which, by the way, that would be significant. Because then I will leave Bonds, McGuire, and Judge as the three single-season home run leaders. And and obviously anything over 61 is going to get credit, a little extra credit perhaps, by Yankee fans and anti-steroid guys. And the anti-steroid people frustrate me because I think they're very ignorant. They believe that the game is played so clean and the guys in the steroids era just you know, took these devious liberties and ruined their perfect game, which couldn't be any further from the truth. But listen, you want to follow some PBSs from the past where I get into this a little more deeper? If it's something you happen to be thinking about right now and you want to shoot me a comment, Eventually, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it and I'll address it in a little bit of a further fashion. I, I do want to spend some time talking about football. Three teams stand out, really, over the first couple weeks. And we're, we're always, we're always going to panic uh, when we see teams that we expect to be postseason teams, teams that we've done our mock um, division races and wild cards for each of the two NFL conferences and you know, anything that's not fitting that script, we're going to start to question. And the Colts, who seem poised to win the AFC South, they got themselves Matt Ryan, 
after a couple down seasons with the Atlanta Falcons. You figure this guy's still got a lot left. He wants to follow in the footsteps of Matt Stafford, who left the Lions to go to the Rams and won a Super Bowl. Wants to follow in the footsteps of Tom Brady, who left the Patriots to go to the Buccaneers and win a Super Bowl. And a lot of people are expecting with Jonathan Taylor at running back, solid offensive line, respectable defense, um, well-loved and respected NFL head coach in Frank Wright. And it was time for the Indianapolis Colts. And they got off to a bad start here, right? Two division games, not even playing Tennessee, team that gave them the most trouble last year. They tied the Texans, and then they get blown out by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Titans not doing much better. Lost a poorly played game against the Giants, and the Giants deserved to win that game. Neither team really played that well, but the Titans and their expectations, they should have played better. They deserved to lose that game. And listen, they were blown off the field by the Buffalo Bills. You know, kind of a stark contrast to last year when the Titans gave it to the Bills. And any other team is the Cincinnati Bengals, the team that was in the Super Bowl last year, the team that fans are jumping on a bandwagon on Joe Burrow saying, listen, this is their time. Out of these three teams, which team is in the most danger right now? And I think, I think of Tennessee, and I'm going to bring them up in a little bit when I talk about their quarterback situation. But you look at the Colts, you look at the Titans, who are likely to be battling with each other for the AFC South. Now, maybe a team wins seven or eight games and wins that division. Well, a lot of it's going to have to do with where Jacksonville's at. Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence. Have they got that coach-quarterback combo? Are they joined at the hip? Good performance last week against an Indianapolis team that was expected to beat them. The Titans, Derrick Henry, missed a lot of time last year after getting off to that great start. You know, you hope that he could get it going. The line hopefully helps him a little bit. Ryan Tannehill, he's got to play a little bit better than he played in the Cincinnati game in the postseason last year. He's got to play a little better than he played in a game against Buffalo last night. I don't know. If you're asking me who's going to win the AFC South, my bias tells me that I want to root for the Tennessee Titans. Am I discounting the Houston Texans just because of their quarterback? Because Ryan Tannehill has not played well for the Tennessee Titans. Davis Mills has been adequate. He has not led his team to a victory this year. Played a Denver team that was supposed to beat them pretty good. Played them close. Tied the Colts. Are we misrespecting the Houston Texans? I don't know. But it leads me into the one team that I want to talk about. Because when the offseason started and things started rolling around, Russell Wilson, was he going to be traded from Seattle? You find out that Pete Carroll uh, didn't want a quarterback that was going to challenge him for being the leader of the team. That's why he picked Russell Wilson in the first place. That's why he took him as a draft pick and started him over to a guy in Matt Flynn who the Seahawks had signed to be their starter for the next couple of years. And Russell Wilson obviously became a cold hero. He led his team to a Super Bowl, went to the Super Bowl the next year. Was that Carroll's call? Was it the offensive coordinator's call? Was it Russell Wilson's call to call that slant when he should have just handed the ball to Marshawn Lynch. Bottom line is, 
back-to-back Super Bowl appearances, a Super Bowl championship, something that the Seattle Seahawks had never had before. And Russell Wilson still, over the course of the last five seasons or so, obviously injuries last year messed up the Seahawks, and their season probably started a rebuild that you're looking at right now as Geno Smith is the starting quarterback. He, he Is he, is he going to stay in Seattle? Is he out? Well, he obviously gets traded to the Denver Broncos, and all of a sudden all these people come out of the woodworks. They're saying, hey, this is like Peyton Manning all over again. The Denver Broncos are going to start counting championships. You know, here comes their fourth Super Bowl because they got a quarterback, something they haven't had since the likes of Peyton Manning. Obviously, prior to that, since the likes of John Elway. And they bring in an offensive coach. Their, their head coach gets fired last year. Nathaniel Hackett comes in. Top offensive mind. You got an offensive head coach. And you got a quarterback. A star quarterback. And nobody's going to stop the Denver Broncos. You're looking at a, a division which has the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. And the, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Good teams. But everybody's saying Denver, Denver, Denver. They got a good defense. They finally got their quarterback. They got the offensive coach. There's not been a more disappointing team in the NFL in the first two weeks of the season. Now listen, there's plenty of time. 15 more games to play. Those of you that said there's no doubt that the Denver Broncos not only are winning the AFC West, but they're winning the Super Bowl this year, they still got a chance. There's not been a more disappointing team in two weeks than the Denver Broncos. I talked about the Colts. I talked about the Titans. I talked about the Bengals. And they're all 0-2. and two. And the Broncos won a game last week. They beat Davis Mills and Houston Texans. But it was uninspiring. And then to think about this, a week one which couldn't have been set up any better if the schedule makers were trying to find marquee matchups. You had Russell Wilson for Denver against his former team in Seattle. You had Baker Mayfield playing for the Carolina Panthers against the Cleveland Browns. I mean, you couldn't have planned it out to be any better. And I don't want to hear anything about Russell Wilson and the crowd noise in Seattle. That's something that he thrived for a decade. Now, am I going to go overboard over one game? No. I'm not going to go overboard even if it's Geno Smith that ends up beating Russell Wilson in a game where the Seahawks played their game and proved that they could win a game with Geno Smith. Proved maybe that the quarterback does not matter as much as we, the diehard NFL fans, believe it does. You can win a game without a star quarterback. And Pete Carroll's been big on, hey, we're going to play good defense. We're going to run the football. We're not going to make mistakes. We're not going to commit penalties. We're going to play good special teams. And that helped them. It helped them against the quarterback who they kind of wanted to be guarded and not be the absolute star. He became a star anyway. And they traded him to Denver for a bunch of picks. I think this is the first time we're going to look at Russell Wilson and kind of see what he is. Was he a beneficiary of the Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom? 
one of the best defenses that we've ever seen in the NFL, maybe the best defense in a Super Bowl era in NFL history. It's got to be up there. Team that whooped on the Denver Broncos, right? Their game wasn't even close. Coulda, should have, would have beat the Patriots, maybe if they ran Marshawn Lynch, got any end zone there, who knows. Patriots still had a little bit of a chance to come back there. Russell Wilson to Denver, is it going to be as much of a seamless transition as everybody's told me? Because that's all I've heard. I've heard about how great the Denver Broncos are going to be this year. Listen, I look at a lot of teams. I think Joe Burrow's got a huge, huge chip on his shoulder. Got his team to the Super Bowl. Sure, a lot of people are going to say, hey, that's great. You did that in your first full season. Remember, he was he was hurt in year number one. It's going to be hard for him to get that team back there. And I look at Pittsburgh, who I think is improving, is going to improve. Baltimore proved that they were beatable, losing a ridiculous game to Miami. It's going to be a fun division to watch. One that I don't think is a guarantee that Cincinnati's going to win, but I'd be worried about the Broncos. I think the Broncos are the fourth best team in the AFC West. And when they end up finishing in fourth place, we could play this track from this show on the 20th day of September 2022 when I said that's what's going to happen. Another thing that I wanted to kind of talk about, you're going to see situations, whether it's Pittsburgh, um, whether it's Atlanta, eventually it's going to be Tennessee. It could happen sooner than later in Tennessee. You're going to hear the call for the young quarterbacks. And one of the talking points on this show heading into the NFL draft this past year was how weak of a quarterback draft it was. There wasn't the Trevor Lawrence, the Andrew Luck, the John Elway, the Dan Marino. You know, Joe Montana wasn't coming out of Notre Dame to be the first overall pick in the draft. And we tend in the NFL to always value the backup quarterback. The guy that's not playing, the guy that's not on a field making the mistakes, the person that's holding the clipboard, not taking any hits, not having to think for himself at the given moment, is the hero. And especially when he hasn't played. Especially when he's brand new. Especially when he's a rookie. And you're going to hear the names of Kenny Pickett. And you're going to hear the names of Malik Willis. You're going to hear the names of Desmond Ritter. Matt Corral is out for the season in Carolina, so you won't be hearing that yet. Even though they got a pretty good competition there with Baker and Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback. And you're going to see that this year. Um, I digress. Pickett, Ritter, Willis. It's going to be a matter of time before we're asking, hey, when are these guys going to be in a game? And really, it should go at the pace of the organization when the organization feels it's time. But a lot of times in the NFL, Teams are very reactive over what their fans want to see. Mitch Trubisky, if he's leading the Pittsburgh Steelers to victory week after week, you're not going to hear too much about Kenny Pickett. Steelers lose a game. Barely win a game. Any inadequate play from the quarterback position is going to cause the fans to say, hey, 
We got a first-round draft pick in Kenny Pickett. It doesn't matter what he's going to turn into as an NFL quarterback. They want to see him on the field. And it's like in baseball when you say, hey, play the kids because my team sucks. The kids might not be any good. The kids might not have any potential to ever be any good. But because they're below the age of 23, 24 years old, you're going to want to see them because at least it gives you something to think about outside of the fact that your team's losing day after day in baseball and, of course, week after week in the National Football League. If you lose with a young quarterback, think about the Giants and Eli Manning's first season. Kurt Warner, they had a winning record. They pulled the plug on a season. Some people were disappointed. Hey, maybe it could have been a playoff team that year. Made a little bit of a run, but it was time to play Eli Manning. Eli Manning lost every game up until the last week of the season. He ended up having a pretty good career for the Giants. A couple Super Bowls. Um, obviously, the crowning achievements of his career. You want to see a young quarterback when you're losing. It's better than an older quarterback. If the Steelers are going to go 5-12 and 12 this year, you'd rather do it with Kenny Pickett than with Mitch Trubisky or Mason Rudolph. If the Tennessee Titans are going to go 5-12 and 12 this year, they'd rather do it with Malik Willis as their quarterback and not Ryan Tannehill. If the Atlanta Falcons are going to go 3-14 and 14 this year, they'd rather do it with Desmond Ritter than with Marcus Mariota. And while I agree with that standpoint when it comes to, hey, if that's what you are, if you're a bad team, you might as well perform poorly with your young quarterback. Are those individual quarterbacks ready to play? Are, is it going to hurt their development by being on the field when they really shouldn't be? The reason they're on the field is to appease the fans, not necessarily because they're ready to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And my honest opinion is I feel like all three of these quarterbacks would be best suited to spend the majority of this season on the bench and learn, understand the offense, set up oppositions, learn the game a little bit. I don't look at any one of these three quarterbacks and think they're going to be a 10-year starter in the National Football League. That could be wrong. Been wrong before. You know, if Kenny Pickett is the next Ben Roethlisberger, Malik Willis is the next Warren Moon. Desmond Ritter is the next Matt Ryan. Then I look bad. And you say, hey, this is a terrible take. I don't think any of these quarterbacks are going to be starting in the NFL three years from now. And that's going to be disappointing. Because Pickett is not brought in there to be a stopgap. Eventually he's going to be replaced with another quarterback that's drafted, right? Malik Willis was taken just because he was there. Ryan Tannehill's not going to play forever. Well, what are you doing with a Malik Willis if he's not going to be your starter in the next couple of years? And the same thing with Desmond Ritter. But we have it on the record. And I want this clip pointed to when we're looking three years from now. 2025, I want you to ask me where Desmond Ritter is, where Malik Willis is. Where Kenny Pickett is. 
And I have no doubt that all three could still be playing in the NFL. But if you tell me that they're a no-doubt starter for the teams that currently employ them right now, I'll eat some crow. But I don't think that's going to happen. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show. We're brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If this happens to be my last show, just know that I gave this show my all. I put everything that I had into this through every last little bit of my sports knowledge, whether it's history or uh, about stuff that's currently going on in the world of sports. Oh, I love everybody that's listened to the show, watched the show. Obviously, I love everybody that's dear and close to me. Maybe we'll be back with you. Maybe we won't be. But God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.